What can the various trials and tribulations of the Burks of Clan Rickard tell us about life in 16th century Ireland? That's this week on the St. Patrick's Day edition of Footnoting History. Like the story of St. Patrick, today's podcast begins in England. William de Burgo, the founder of the Burkes of Ireland, was an Anglo-Norman lord with close ties to King John of England. Like many noblemen who lived and held land on the frontier of English authority, William de Burgo relied on family members to fill out his military retinue. Life on the frontier was dangerous. Irish chiefs used regular, small-scale conflicts to establish their prestige and position in society. Most often, these raids took the form of cattle raids. The nature of this limited warfare offered little in terms of glory or wealth, the traditional forms of remuneration for medieval knights. Only family would work for the limited opportunities that frontier life offered. As the old saying goes, if you can't beat them, join them. As the de Burgos grew in power and authority in medieval Ireland, so did their ties to Irish chiefs, often marrying the daughters of prominent chiefs and in exchange marrying off their sons and daughters when plausible. The de Burgos eventually controlled two of the most powerful and prestigious titles in Ireland, the Earldom of Ulster in the north and the Lordship of Connacht in the west. During this time, the de Burgos moved between English and Irish society with relative ease. They spoke the language and performed the rituals of both societies. However, a lack of sons during the 14th century caused the titles to pass from the family. Despite the lack of title, the family itself remained deeply entrenched in Irish society. The de Burgos ceased to exist, but Western Ireland saw the rise of the Burks of Clan Rickard. By the 16th century, the Burks were what the English considered to be degenerate. The Latin origins of the phrase degenerate stressed the loss of race. For the English, the Burks had lost their Englishness. So, when in 1536, the leader of the Clan Rickard Burks, known as the McWilliam, died, the succession dispute that followed took on a distinctly Irish character. Unlike in English culture, where inheritance went to the eldest son, any number of heirs could succeed an Irish chief. The heir was always male, and typically a relative within two degrees of separation. This meant that a grandfather, father, uncle, brother, nephew, or son of the deceased chief could claim the chieftaincy. It was a messy process, but it ensured that there was always a powerful leader in charge of the clan. In 1536, the dispute was between two cousins, Richard Bacchuk, and Ulick, son of Richard Og. In Irish, Bacchic translates to lame. A common practice in medieval Irish society was to maim or blind competition for succession to the chieftaincy. In this case, however, Bacchic or lame is best viewed ironically. Richard was extremely fit for office. His claim was furthered by the support of another cousin, Ulick Nagyan. It was Ulick Nagyan's support that would make Richard the McWilliam of Clan Rickard. The epithet of Ulick Nagyan translates from the Irish into Ulic of the Heads. This epithet provides considerable insight into Irish society. On the one hand, it marks Ulic as a fierce warrior, known for decapitating his opponents. Or, it could refer to the heads of wine that Ulic removes as a means of rewarding his men for their loyalty. Both interpretations describe qualities that Irish society valued in a chief. Chiefs should be strong and able to enforce their will. At the same time, they should be generous, willing to celebrate their victories with their men. By 1538, Ulf Nigyan was no longer simply supporting his cousin, but had taken over as the McWilliam of Clan Rickard. The new McWilliam, however, found himself in a very different Ireland than his predecessors. 
many of the English kings, dating back to Henry II, maintained a policy of disengagement when it came to Ireland. In contrast, Henry VIII vigorously defended his role as the sovereign of Ireland, going so far as to change his title from feudal lord to that of king. The Burks, who had controlled the nearby town of Galway, were an obstacle to Henry VIII's aggressive policy of expansion and incorporation. Agents of the king offered Ulachnagan an opportunity. If he submitted to the king and adopted an English lifestyle, he could retain his position of authority. Ulachnagan accepted this opportunity and in 1543 became William Burke, 1st Earl of Clan Rickard. The lordship of William Burke, however, was short-lived. He was replaced in 1544 by his son Richard. Richard, the second Earl of Clanricard, struggled to maintain his authority over the lordship. His opposition came from an odd source, his sons. He was married three times. His first wife was the daughter of the first Earl of Thomond, who he divorced on claims of witchcraft. His second wife was the daughter of the second Earl of Thomond, and his third wife was the daughter of the McCarthy. The Earls of the Mons were the Irish O'Briens, whose lands neighbored the territory of the Burks in Western Ireland. Like the marriages of his de Burgo ancestors, his wives brought political connections to the neighboring Irish communities, who, like his father, had submitted to the King of England. But many wives led to many sons, and these sons, some illegitimate, saw no benefit to their father's association with the English. They wanted a return to the Irish tradition of inheritance which allowed men other than the eldest son to take power. Letters to the king and his council noted the willingness of Richard to work with the English administration, but complained of the negative influence of both his many wives and uncontrollable sons. In one famous instance, Richard held his sons in prison after they had attacked him. After pleading for the liberty of his sons and obtaining the promise of his sons to both obey him and English law, the sons were released. The sons were given English clothes to wear as a physical symbol of their new allegiance. However, no sooner had the sons crossed the Shannon River than they stripped off their clothes and resumed their rebellion, hopefully after donning new clothes. The fault was not entirely with the sons. Irish culture did not maintain the strict rules surrounding marriage and legitimacy that dominated most of Europe at the time. Irish chiefs often recognized sons as legitimate with little more than the mother's word as proof of fatherhood. Multiple sons, in an Irish context, provided loyal supporters. In an English context, however, these sons proved to be a liability. This is just one of many examples where cultural differences undermined the politics of English expansion. By the end of the 16th century, the Burks had become English lords, whose land and title resided in Ireland. Many of the remaining Burks followed the example of their leader, adapting and adopting to the changing political and cultural trends in Ireland. Leo Tolstoy famously noted that all happy families resemble one another. Each unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. While the Burks might have had their peculiarities, they provide an excellent example of the complex relationship between identity and culture and politics in medieval and early modern Ireland. This has been Footnoting History. If you like the podcast, be sure to visit our website, footnotinghistory.com, where you can find links to further reading suggestions related to this week's episode, as well as a calendar of upcoming podcasts. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at History Footnote. Until next time, remember, the best stories are always in the footnotes. See you next week!